Hi, this is Nathan Owens from the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse in Antigua. Every Tuesday evening at 7.30, we have a live call-in program discussing real-life issues from the Caribbean. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. You're listening to That's Truth, a live call-in program with Dr. David Murphy, designed to answer your questions biblically in this confusing culture. Dr. Murphy has over 30 years of counseling and ministry experience here in the Caribbean and is ready to answer your questions according to truth. Good evening and welcome to another episode of That's Truth. I'm Nathan Owens and I'm in the studio of the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse with Pastor Murphy. Good evening, Pastor Murphy. Uh, Good evening, Brother Nathan. This week we're going to be discussing the topic of the fundamental doctrines of the Christian faith. Pastor Murphy, in Scripture it refers to the fact that in end times there will be a falling away, a falling away from true doctrine and there definitely is that when we look at the the church or those that claim to be part of the church. Before we discuss what are these fundamental doctrines, can you define what is a doctrine? Well, basically, the, the biblical word for doctrine uh, really means teaching. Uh, so when we talk about doctrine, we talk about the, the, the teachings of the Scripture. And while we do identify certain fundamental doctrines, there are many other doctrines in the Bible uh, so, in essence, what the Bible teaches on a particular subject, whether that be subject be God, Christ, the Holy Spirit, uh, the Scriptures, um, even uh, the doctrine of love, um, uh, the doctrine of judgment and, and hell, is just basically teaching. So, if I'm understanding you right, in theory, there could be an endless number of doctrines taught in Scripture. Yeah, whatever, do- the, for example, the doctrine about the home. The doctrine of Satan, doctrine on angels, doctrine on, on, on um, salvation. Um, so wherever the Bible is teaching on a particular topic, that is the doctrine on that topic, that particular subject. So as you said, it, it's almost limitless in terms of what the Bible teaches. So there's several doctrines in the Bible. Why is it important that we take the time to say these are, to quantify or to say these are key doctrines that one must believe in order to be a saved, born-again believer? Well, I think if one uh, looks in Genesis chapter 3, for example, uh, you immediately discover that we're in a true war. God spoke, and there's an enemy who's actually trying to contradict what God says, deny what God says, create doubt in people's people's mind on this matter. And, of course, he tries to counterfeit uh, biblical truth. So uh, if you trace from Genesis and run right through the Scripture, you find that you have an, an antagonist, an enemy, who is trying to undermine credibility in God's veracity. And co- consequently, it has become necessary for the church and Christians to identify what the Bible teaches on a subject because there's a subtle enemy who is trying to counterfeit undermine the Bible. Uh, if you go to um, the first century as well uh, about Christ, the doctrine of Christ, you find that 
um, one of the main issues that came up very early in Christianity is who's, who's Christ? How many natures he's got? Is he divine? Is he only human? Uh, does he have two natures? Is his two natures combined into one? The church had to clarify the biblical teaching on these matters simply because the church has always been in a truth war and an enemy of truth is trying to undermine the credibility of the scriptures and it's important for the church to formulate uh, its particular doctrines so that people will not, will not be misled and we can c- catechize them in terms of getting them informed as to what fundamental doctrines are. So if we're in a truth war, what is the basis or what is, where do we find the truth? Uh, again, um, the Bible makes it clear that thy word is truth. Christ okay. is truth. Uh, we find truth in Scripture. Now, there is uh, the truth found in, 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 in nature, in science as well. But when we talk about um, spiritual truth, we talk religious truth, truth that relates to man's relationship with God, that is found in Scripture. That is why, by the way, it has become so important for us to understand that one of the core doctrines of the, uh, of the Christianity is the idea of the verbal inspiration of the Bible. Because if you can destroy the Bible, you have destroyed everything else that's in the scriptures. Uh, so it is very, very, very crucial for us to understand that the, the basis of truth is God's word. And the undermining of God's word uh, creates doubt in people's mind as to the veracity of scripture. What about when I'm witnessing to a person who does not believe in the inerrancy of scripture mm-hmm. or the inspiration of scripture? Let's say they're a Muslim and they have the Quran. And I don't know this for sure, but if the Quran were to claim that it was inerrant, mm-hmm. then how how do you reconcile those two? Well, again, this goes back to the arguments for Scripture. Um, you've got to do a lot of apologetic work when you're dealing with people of a different faith, or even if you're dealing with an atheist or an agnostic. You have to, in addition to giving him the Scriptures, you have to be able to try to persuade him as to why we believe in the the authority and the inspiration of the Bible. And there's a very, very good reasons that we've explored in another program why we believe the Bible is the Word of God. So the preamble to evangelism in, in terms of dealing with people who don't have faith or people who have doubts about the Scripture, we have to try to, uh, one of the things we need to do is to um, try to answer their questions by giving answers to those questions, and that is where the area of apologetics comes in. Either you loan them books, or you discuss what theme or topic they're interested in. And all the time, by the way, understand that you you don't uh, persuade a man into the kingdom of God by, by rational truth only. The Holy Spirit has to be working in that person's life. So while you are dealing with him with, in apologetics and dealing with, with the, uh, the scriptures, you must understand the ministry of the Holy Spirit in bringing this person to truth. But uh, Peter says that we must give a reason for the hope that's in us. Uh, those who would ask us questions, we try to give a reason. And this is where Paul, in the book of Acts, in his missionary journeys, has found reasoning with the Jews out of the Scriptures. Right? So, and uh, you also find it in Paul's writings, when Paul was, uh, Paul's um, evangelistic work, when he was at Athens, Paul quotes even from um, Greek poets to prove a point. So uh, this is where apologetics comes in as part of the evangelistic thrust of a Christian. But there are people who have real difficulties in certain areas, and we just can't ignore those areas. We can clear those areas in order to bring them to a greater understanding of the Bible and let the Holy Spirit do its work to bring conviction and salvation. You're listening to That's Truth here on the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse. How many 
key or fundamental doctrines are there to the Christian faith? Is it possible to quantify that? Uh, in a sense, it's, 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 it's difficult. In a sense, it's not. It all depends on what angle you're coming from. The Church has always held to certain fundamental beliefs. Uh, for example, the Church has always held to the belief that there's a, a triune God. Uh, not just that there's a God, but it's a triune God that is uh, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. This has been one of the fundamental core doctrines of, of the faith. The idea of six days creation, that there was a literal creation, not by the process of evolution. That's a core fundamental doctrine that the Church has always held to until in the late 19th century when the Church surrendered its teaching on creationism to embrace evolution. But at this core, the Church has always held to the fundamental doctrine of the triune God, uh, the Trinity, has always held to belief in six days of creation. They've also uh, held to the historical creation of Adam, that Adam was a real historical person. And, and let me just say this, if Adam was not a historical created person, you would have a fictional Christ. And what I mean by that is this, he's the second Adam. He undid everything the first Adam did. So it's, it's not, for people who say that the book of Genesis, for example, is, is mythology, or it doesn't matter whether Adam was created or not, uh, don't really understand the full repercussions of that teaching and the implication it has for the New Testament doctrine on, on salvation and redemption that comes through Jesus Christ, who is the second Adam. Just like the first Adam was the federal head of the human race and all sinned through him. So Christ is the second Adam, the other federal head. And this is why conversion is possible through him, because he has now replaced the first Adam. And then, of course, there's the belief in the fall of man. The church has always held to what is called the depravity of man. And what that means is that man has a sin nature. He inherited a sin nature that you and I are born in sin. This has always been the official position of the church. Um, again, we've only gotten away from that when the philosophers introduced the idea that man is born as a blank sheet. And uh, what happens to the person then is what creates, and the environment is what creates the evil in man. But that has never been the official. We've always believed that we inherited a sinful nature. So we are born in sin. But there would be those that would say that we're more enlightened now, so we realize that we are naturally good. We're not. That was a misunderstanding before. Again, that goes back to what you believe about the Scriptures. Is the Bible the Word of God? Is it revealing truth or not? I mean, are we rationalists or are we theists? Do we believe in revelation that God has revealed himself in his word? So people who talk about um, becoming so enlightened that we can forego what the Bible teaches, they have out, out gone out the realm of Christianity. Those people are not Christians. It doesn't matter what they profess to be. It doesn't matter what church they go to. If a man does not believe the Bible, if a man does not believe in creation, if a man does not believe in the fall of Adam, if man does not believe that man has a fallen nature, those people are simply not Christians. Can you be born again and not believe in the Trinity? How is that possible? Uh, number one, how, how can you be saved if there's no Holy Spirit in the first case? Okay. So, right? How can you, uh, because, and, and then that, if you were to say that, you make Jesus a man. How could he redeem us if he is only a man? How would his sacrifice be efficacious for the whole world if he's just a man? So the Trinity is so essential uh, to Christianity. For example, let me say something else. How would there ever be eternal love? Think of that for just a moment. 
if love is eternal, love can only exist between people. It has to be something, love is something personalized. This is why the, the, the doctrine of the Trinity is so central to Christianity. It explains a lot when the Bible talks about eternal love, uh, love that always existed. Love does not exist in a vacuum. It has to be within persons, etc. So I think it is indispensable to be a Christian, uh, to, to hold to the biblical doctrine of the Trinity. Remember, the Trinity is not something that we came up with or we invented. It is something God has revealed in His Word. We not, may not be able to fully comprehend it or explain it in such a way that it, it doesn't leave some reservation in one's mind. But just like creation, we can't explain how God could speak the world into existence, but we accept it by faith. So uh, the Trinity is, is central to Christianity. If you don't have the Trinity, you don't have any Christianity. You may have Judaism, or you may have the Muslim faith, but you won't have Christianity because Christianity is, is the only unique religion of the what is called the monotheistic religions, um, which is Islam, uh, Judaism, and Christianity. Those are the three monotheistic religions. If you don't have the Trinity, uh, you're left with either the Islamic faith or the, or the Jewish faith. So it is something distinctively unique, uh, Christianity is in relation to the Trinity. You're listening to That's Truth on the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse. We're discussing what are the key fundamental doctrines of the Christian faith. Pastor, you were referencing some of the key doctrines, and I got a sidetracked, uh-huh. but you were talking about God and the Trinity, the importance of the Trinity, six-day creation, that man is depraved, and that's been the view of the church. Yeah. Uh, what are some of the other key one ones? Of the, one of the other key ones is the inspiration and authority of Scripture. The church has always held to that, basically, that the Bible is inspired by God, and because it's inspired by God, it's authoritative. Uh, again, the undermining of that view really began in the last quarter of the 19th century. This is where liberalism and modernism started. And it started in Germany, went over into Europe, went over into England, and they finally got to America. But this was the period that really undermined the entire Christian orthodoxy. And the, the church found itself where uh, it began to question uh, a lot of the biblical doctrines and the books of the Bible and the author of the Bible, the dates of the Bible, etc., etc., it brought into disrepute uh, the whole Christian faith, and and uh, this movement really undermined people's faith in, in the Bible. But the Church has always held to the inspiration, the authority of Scripture. That is fundamental. We have an email that has come in from Canada. It states, Pastor Murphy. Would you say that the prosperity gospel, tell the evangelists soliciting money and more money from the poor around the world and the disgraced pastors that wound and disappoint believers, is that a type of falling away that is referenced in Scripture? I, I don't think there's any doubt about this. That is a false gospel, this prosperity gospel. Um, if you try to align the prosperity gospel with the teaching of Christ, it is seen very clearly that this is a bogus teaching. Christ tells us that we will enter the kingdom through much tribulation. He warned us that we're going to go through trials and, and, and testings. And you look at even any apostle's life, whether it be Apostle Paul or, or Timothy, uh, you don't find that any of them advocating this idea that if you come to God, you're going to have all your needs met, you're going to have uh, wealth and riches, and you're not going to be sick, you're going to be always totally healed. 
even in Paul's case, Paul left uh, Epaphroditus and uh, Timothy. Uh, they were never totally healed. So this gospel, this prosperity gospel, is clearly a bogus gospel, and it is indicative of the times in which we live. Uh, Peter, Peter will talk about the time coming when people, pastors and uh, preachers become mercenary. And I think this is where this whole thing is. Money has become the new God. And uh, the prosperity gospel is cashing in on this mindset of materialism. It is contrary to Scripture, and uh, it's a bogus gospel that needs to be condemned and rejected by the church. have a WhatsApp that has come in from the U.K. Please tell Pastor Murphy that I'm enjoying the program. The question, do you believe that all these bits and pieces of congregation here and there are separated by doctrines or by all wanting to operate their own way? Definitely there has been division in the church uh, in response to doctrine. For example, the fundamentalist movement of the late 18th century and 19th century, going into the 20th century, that basically is a movement that came about as a result of rejecting the liberalism that entered the mainline churches. Uh, people who rejected the virgin birth, uh, the inspiration of the Bible, uh, the resurrection of Christ, the deity of Christ, his substitutionary atonement, even those that rejected the idea that his coming would be a physical coming in the clouds, that uh, created a great rift between the liberals and the modernists and the fundamentalists. And uh, so that led to a division within churches. But again, uh, even today, uh, there is division among churches that hold to some of these core biblical doctrines. For example, take the um, the Word of Faith movement, that somehow there's power in words. Uh, that if you, uh, if you, in other words, by using certain words, uh, you can almost create your own reality. Uh, they said that God spoke the world into existence by words, and therefore we human beings have that capacity. That is shamanism. Uh, that, that is not Christianity. Uh, but uh, again, you, you move away from a teaching like that. The prosperity gospel has caused churches again to separate. And then, of course, when the charismatic movement came on the scene, which has excesses in in this um, aesthetic utterance that has no no clear language, et cetera, et cetera, and the idea that you are have the second blessing, et cetera, et cetera, that caused churches to, to be divided. And then take baptism. The church that divided over baptism, the form of baptism. Uh, we as Baptists believe in immersion. There are those that believe in sprinkling. Uh, uh, that has created, the, and then the other idea of um, the baptism of children. We do not believe in the baptism of children. People that believe are to be baptized, not children. Children can't believe. So there are a lot of doctrines that led to certain divisions within the church. It's not just a matter uh, that there wasn't a reason for this uh, separation. So doctrine has divided and um, churches and, and, and denominations. So it, the main reason for it has been doctrinal issues. I recently heard a pastor mm-hmm. mentioned that we should I didn't hear it in person, I heard of a pastor who said we should unhitch the Old Testament from the church that we're living in uh, the Old Testament isn't applicable can a person hold that view and be saved? 
You know, one of the persons that I read recently on that one is a guy called Andy Stanley. I don't know if it's That's the same ex- person. Same person, yes. Uh, that shocked me. Really, really shocked me. Because if you take Christ, for example, and his view of the Old Testament, it is very, very clear that he embraced the Old Testament as inspired by God and something that he fulfilled. Uh, I, I can't see how a Christian, any Christian, true Christian, can uh, hold to the Old Te- New Testament and totally ignore the Old Testament. Um, that virtually is impossible. They all come as one book. There's an Old Covenant, there's a New Covenant. The, 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 the New Covenant um, explains the Old Covenant, and within the New Covenant, you find the, the, new, the Old Covenant is hidden. Uh, how, how do you do away with all the types in the Bible in the Old Testament? Uh, it is true that certain parts of the Old Testament are no longer applicable, especially the ceremonial laws, the religious laws, the sacrifice, etc. But again, they all pointed to Christ as the Messiah. Uh, Paul talks about Christ as our Passover, he's our unleavened bread, etc., etc. So it's virtually impossible for a person to divorce the Old Testament from the New Testament. They all are a sequel, one leads to the other, and one must embrace both uh, to be considered a true, authentic believer. We are Christians. We follow Christ. Uh, Christ's uh, high elevated view of the inspiration of the Old Testament, we should also embrace that. And by the way, how would you understand the book of Revelation apart from understanding the book of Daniel, the book of, uh, of uh, Ezekiel, or the book of Zechariah? And a lot of prophetic uh, scriptures are yet to be fulfilled in the Old Testament. So if you abandon the Old Testament, you're abandoning God's Word. See, and The important thing is this. Christ's attitude towards the Old Testament was that it was uh, God spoke, it was God's word, God was inspired, something for the believer to embrace. This should be our attitudes if we are following Christ and we claim to be Christians. And one of the, in my mind, one of the greatest proofs that the Bible is true is the fulfilled prophecies of Jesus Christ. So if you throw the Old Testament out, well, you just threw out the the proof, the self-fulfilling uh Prophecies. One other thing, Nathan, that is so important. Look at all the major issues that we face with today. Uh, that you got to go back to Genesis. The idea about creation, major issue today. The answer to that question is Genesis. The idea of of marriage. What is marriage? You go back to Genesis. The idea of gender. Where do you go? Where, where are you going to find an answer to gender? You go back to the book of Genesis. Family. So, fam- yeah. the, all the core concepts, the, the the seed of all biblical doctrines and teaching are, are in those first five books of the Bible called the Torah. So crucially important. So imagine how how would we respond to what what is the family? What is marriage? Uh, what, what what is gender, uh, and not only that, sodomy is a big issue. Yeah. Again, go back to Genesis chapter nineteen that deals with these kind of issues. It is very very clear that we need the Bible more, the Old Testament now today more than we probably ever needed it before because a lot of the issues we have today, we're going into what is called a post Christian neo paganistic world, and a lot of the things that Christianity destroyed and settled when it first came on the scene. Those things are now resurrecting themselves. And philosophies and that kind of thing? Oh, yeah. Okay. Not philosophies, lifestyle. Uh, for example, I don't know if people know this, but abortion is not new. 
has never been new. In the first century, there were uh, certain chemicals you could take to destroy the baby. Moms who didn't want a child would leave a child under the tree for the foxes to eat. There were other means to try to deal. Christianity came on the scene and, and, and uh, destroyed that by showing the value of human life that man was created in the image of God. So, um, the idea of burning a wife on a pyre uh, like it's done in India, Christianity stopped that in modern times. See, The, the treatment of people uh, with uh, slavery, Christianity ended that. Right? So, uh, But what I'm saying that the more we get away from Scripture, a lot of the things that Christianity dealt with before are now resurfacing, like the value of life, uh, what is man, what is marriage. Uh, Christianity made those things very, very clear. What is morality? What is right from wrong? So as we move away from the Christian faith and you get this resurgence of neo-paganism, you're going to have to go back to the Bible to find out what is God's intent to help resolve some of these issues. A question that has come in via WhatsApp. What is more important, to live by fundamental doctrines of Christianity, or thus saith the Lord? Well, I don't think there needs to be a disparity between the two. Uh, the, the, the fundamental doctrines are there really to define uh, some of the crucial issues that there had been some controversy and debate and denial. For example, live by thus saith the Lord, we, we do that. But you're going to still have to take, take the deity of Christ at the virgin birth. Um, how do you live by the deity of Christ at the virgin birth? It's, it's, it's a, but again, uh, unless you believe in the virgin birth and deity of Christ, you have no salvation. So, and then, how do you, who is Christ? You have to provide answers for people. Look, even in the book of um, Isaiah, Jesus, God said, come now, let us what? Reason together. There are people who have issues that they struggle with, who need answers, and there are people who need clarity on certain biblical doctrines, and it's the responsibility of pastors and teachers and leaders to, to set out those doctrines in order systematically so people can understand and comprehend why we believe these things. That does not mean that we don't uh, follow the saith the Lord. Uh, we are following the saith the Lord because He's the one that told us to give a reason for an answer uh, to, to, put, to, to ask you. So we're just trying to systematize answers to questions that people have raised over the years. And uh, so we're not going against Scripture or in any way suggesting that thus if the Lord is not important. It is crucially important. We live that way. But at the same time, doctrine is important. As Paul talks about song doctrine uh, in, the, in, the, in the book of um, Timothy. So you just mentioned two more doctrines that we hadn't discussed thus far, the virgin birth and the deity of Christ. Thus far, you've referenced uh, God, the Trinity, the six days of creation, man is depraved, the inspiration of Scripture, and then those two, the virgin let, birth. Let me elaborate a little bit there on this whole matter of the deity of Christ. Yeah. Nobody can be a Christian who doesn't believe in the deity of Christ. Nobody can be a Christian who doesn't, nobody can be a Christian who doesn't believe in the virgin birth. Because if there's no virgin birth, it means that Christ was born with a sinful nature. If he's born with a sinful nature, he can't redeem me. If he's just a man, he's not God. Again, his salvation cannot apply to everybody. What gives the efficacy to his uh, redemptive work and its universal application is the fact that he's not just a man, he's God. So to hold the idea that I can be a Christian and don't believe in the virgin birth and, and don't believe in the deity of Christ... 
that is fictitious. And I, I would say to anyone who's listening to this program who would say to me, I don't believe in the Virgin, but I don't believe. I would say to you, sir, quite frankly, you are anything but a believer. You're not a Christian. You're not converted. You're not born again. And you're not in the faith. You are an apostate. Simple as that. Any other doctrines that you would uh, add to this list? Well, there is the uh, belief in the substitutionary atonement of Christ, to believe that um, his was a penal sacrifice, that Christ died for our sins, and that by putting our faith and trust in him, uh, not only are our sins forgiven, but his righteousness is imputed to us as a believer. So uh, we, we, a lot of liberals and a lot of modernists believe that Christ came to be an example and to be a teacher. They don't see the substitutionary they don't believe in his substitutionary work that he died on the cross for anybody. We save ourselves by a moral morality and by a virtue. Again, anyone that does not believe in the substitutionary atonement of Christ is not a Christian. There's no question about that. I, I find it difficult uh, why people hedge and haw on these things when it is very, very clear uh, that a Christian is a person who must believe in these core fundamental doctrines. The other one, uh, Brother Nathan, is the literal bodily resurrection of Christ. No man is a Christian who does not believe in the resurrection. I don't care how much profession he's made. I don't care what church he goes to. I don't care how much Bible he reads, how many times he prays. I don't care what institution he belongs to. If a man does not believe in the resurrection of Christ, he's not saved. Because there can be no justification without resurrection. He was raised for our justification. So if Christ is still in the tomb, you're not saved, sir. You're not saved, madam, if you don't believe that Christ was raised from the dead. And again, Paul makes it quite clear in Corinthians, we have no hope without the resurrection. But it has been strangely a strange phenomenon that there are people who are in our churches that don't believe in the resurrection, but are holding on to maybe the redemptive work of the church or membership. Uh, they're just totally deceiving themselves and are in for a great shock uh, at that final day. The other thing, uh, Nathan, is the second coming. The church has always held to the second coming. Now, it may not hold to the uh, the 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 the, uh, the time of the second coming, whether it be the pre-rapture, whether it be the rapture or mid, whatever it is. But they've always held to the idea that he's coming back. He, he's coming back, and he, and then of course the idea of final judgment. The uh, the other thing, of course, is the the destiny of man for heaven or hell. Uh, this has always been the position of the church, that a person that is a Christian uh, at death. Uh, he goes to heaven. A person who is not a Christian, he goes to hell. This has always been the position of the church. So can a person believe in annihilation and be a born-again believer in the Lord Jesus Christ? What I would say to you is this. If we take this doctrine as a core doctrine, um, I find it difficult for a person to embrace a doctrine contrary to Scripture, especially in relation to hell. For example, you take the you take the Jehov Jehovah's Witness. They believe in annihilation. They believe that they don't believe in eternal damnation. Uh, the Seventh-day Adventists, well, believe in soul sleep. Uh, they also believe in annihilation. They don't believe in eternal eternal judgment. There are other groups that don't believe that. And this is where we question their position of claiming to be Christian, because this is a core doctrine. Christ taught more on hell than he taught about any other doctrine in the Bible. 
as far as his teaching. And of course, to take the Bible and reinterpret it to fall in line with your ideology or your thinking or your, your religious movement is exactly what has happened. But anyone that reads the scripture in its plain, literal sense will come away from it not believing there's a hell and there's a heaven. You have to play semantics with scripture in order to come to any other alternative. And one last one, um, if I might say this, um, is the new birth. Church has always held to conversion and uh, regeneration. And this was through an act of the Holy Spirit, moving a believer to repentance and faith in Jesus Christ. This has been a core doctrine uh, of uh, the, the church. I came across in some literature that some people in the church have held that one of the core doctrines needs to be the reality of the miracles of Christ. Oh, I should have I should have mentioned that um, part of the why is that significant? Well, what happened with the liberals and the modernists is that they tried to sanitize the Bible and uh, actually tried to take everything miraculous out of scriptures and not realizing that when you turn scripture into a natural religion and strip it of its supernatural aspects, you have a caricature of Christianity. But that came about, uh, Nathan, because the liberals and the modernists in the third quarter of the, of the 19th century, they wanted to be academically accepted. They wanted to fall in line with the new scientific discoveries of Darwinism, etc., etc. Uh, so, and, and of course, they came up with what is called the doctrine of uniformity or uniformitarianism, which means that what we see in the natural order, like take the, the erosion of a hill, we can calculate how much time it takes to erode a certain section and create a, a canyon. So what happened is that the, 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 take, take, take the six days of creation. They had to create gaps to fit in with these uh, tables that they discovered in terms of the fossil records. So they had no, they, they could not see God creating with, with um, age. And using a natural process, they tried to work it back. The church rather than hold to the biblical position, found itself to compromise. It didn't want to be considered anti-intellectual, anti-scientific. Uh, so what happened, it fell in order with the scientific world that was leading the church. So what you had to do now is to strip Christianity of its supernatural aspects of it, so there are no miracles. So what happened with Jesus when he fed the, the, uh, the, the, the 5,000? Well, there's a little boy hiding in the cave, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, what happened with the Red Sea uh, the, when, it, when, it, when the water became blood? Well, there were some plants some way up the area before, and then the plants got into the water and turned it red. It was an attempt to scrub the Bible of everything supernatural in order to find, fall in line with natural scientific data which was the new science, especially with evolution and, and Darwinism. And the church, rather than take a firm stand on the, on, this, on the Bible, it compromised, and as a result, not wanting to be called obscurantist, and not wanting to be called anti-intellectual, and to be unlearned, and to be um, archaic, it embraced this new thinking, thinking it would help, but in the long term, it completely undermined and destroyed the credibility of Christianity. And Dr. J. Vernon McGee, who was back in the, the 1900s, he taught the gap theory. And the reason I draw that up is, can a person believe in the gap theory or not believe in the literal six-day creation and still be a born-again believer? I, I can't answer the question uh, as to 
for me, I find it impossible that anybody who claims to be a Christian can doubt the six-day creation. I have difficulty believing that that is possible. The Bible is so clear that in six days God created the heaven and the earth. And the reason why the seventh day was given is to commemorate uh, that aspect of it. Um, I can't... You, you go into the, the, uh, the, the New Testament and you find that, that Christ made it very clear that he, he who created, created male and female. Uh, you come to, to Paul's writing, you come to the book of Hebrews. Uh, through faith we understand that the world was created by the Word of God. So I'm not saying that it was... I'm not saying evolution. I'm saying more of a, a spread out time period. I think it's a compromise. Okay. I think it's a compromise to try to fit the... the, uh, the what the so-called discoveries of science mm-hmm. uh, to get the, the that data fit into a biblical record. I think that's what's happened. It's a compromise. It's an attempt to be seen scientific. It is trying to avoid the reproach of believing in the Bible and believe in Christ. I, I think that um, it was a cop-out, and I think in the long term, it has been detrimental to the church. Look at the amount of work that Ken Ham has done yeah. In, in in reversing that now, look how things have changed. The pendulums of this uh, have changed because the, the when you remember that when Darwin started, Darwin was like a little boy in terms of modern science. He had no idea about the DNA molecule and the amount of information that's in there. Enough information to fill up the whole Britannica encyclopedias. He had no idea about that. He is just speaking in hypotheses. The, the, the information we have today, the new scientific data we have today, it is very, very clear that the amount of information that is in the DNA in itself can never happen by accident. While you're on the topic of evolution, not to get distracted from sure. this, but you recently in a sermon referenced and read uh, a couple of men who had been pushers of evolution and they later and on their deathbed said the reason that we oh, yeah. uh, that we were pushing evolution is because we didn't want to be under a God. And you may have shared this on yeah. That's Truth, but just to remind the listeners why evolution is so opposed to... Yeah. The, the person I'm referring to, if you read uh, Ravi Zacharias, he has a book called Can Man Live Without God? In that book, uh, Ravi Zacharias quotes the Huxley brothers who made it very clear uh, that the reason why they pushed evolution and ad- became advocates of evolution is because they said we wanted to live very immoral lives, but God was in our way. The way to get rid of God was to get rid of any need for a supreme deity, and evolution, by the process of natural selection, gave us that answer. So we pushed it, but we knew what we were doing. We could not live as we wanted to live immorally and believe in a supreme God who we held accountable to. So we had to get rid of God. And the way to get rid of God was to push uh, uh, Darwinism because there's no need for God, according to Darwinism, by a process of natural selection. So if evolution is that opposed to Scripture, then to compromise at all and try and combine evolutionary scientific views with Scripture you're you're losing a battle. It's a great cop-out. Yeah. But here's it. Christians didn't want to be shamed into thinking that they were anti-scientific, anti-intellectual. The intelligentsia of the time had gone to this new science, uh, Darwin's theories. The church was made to look as 
obscurantists. In other words, they are obsolete. They're not relevant. They're not informed. They don't know what they're doing. It basically, uh, Christianity is a mythology. It deals only in the spiritual realm. It doesn't speak in the scientific realm. So in order to be seen to be up-to-date and intellectual and smart and not to be uh, left behind in terms of modern thinking, the church embraced the evolutionary theory and embraced Darwinism and some of them even came up with a new theory called theistic evolution which thought that God created yes but he created by the process of evolution the problem with that is man never came from an ape the problem with that is death came through Adam's sin there was no death before Adam's sin so the idea of evolution that uh, creatures died off and died off until they eventually became to the, the ape and then became man, it was contrary and in conflict with Scripture. But amazing, let me just say this. The biggest issue that the church has faced and continues to face is whether or not it believes in the inspiration and the authority of the Bible. If Christians could settle that once and for all and really trust God's Word, we would not be in any way be embarrassed or ashamed to take a position on God's truth. But I think we, to some extent, are cowards when it comes to God's Word. I thank God that I don't feel intimidated. I don't feel ashamed of the Word of God. This is God's Word. I'm prepared to stick by it. And I wish that was the pervasive attitude among Christians. But everything that comes up these days... Let me use another lecture. I don't want to get off at another point. But you take psychology... Nothing has done more damage to Christianity in the last five, dec- uh, five decades th- than psychology. It okay. has seeped into the church. But where have all these theories come from? Freud. Freud, Watson, Ellis. Yeah. Uh, all of these are, none of these men, by the way, were Christians. None of them. The idea of the id and the superego and the ego, where did that come from? Uh, again, it came from Freud. The idea of an unconsciousness that controls you, where did that come from? It came from Freud. The idea of uh, you having uh, resident powers within you. The idea of self-actualization. The idea that you have a hierarchy of needs that one has to be met before the other one can be met. Uh, Again, where did that come from? Maslow. A lot of the teaching that these ungodly atheistic people offer to psychology has now been taught being taught at our, our theological seminaries is seeped into the, the Christian community and pastors rather than learning theology are now counseling. They're taking courses in psychology courses, etc. Et May I ask a question? Where was God and where were preachers a hundred years ago where there was no psychology? Who were the ones that helped people most? Who were the ones that were the counselors? Who were the ones that were able to help people with their problems? It was the pastors. See, they didn't need all of this psychology. And now, as a result, rather than preach the Word of God, they're now psychoanalyzing people, and pastors are more involved in counseling than actually expounding the Word. Wow, powerful thought. I was writing down here over the last couple of minutes just a summary of where this discussion has gone, and I think it's a very good summary. We should never, ever let the world or the intellectuals around us change our view on what the Bible says and the key doctrines in Scripture. Uh, I I see you nodding your head, Pastor, so I know you're in agreement with that. (laughs) Harmony with that. 
Pastor, we have another question that's come in sure. via WhatsApp. Should a woman teach fundamental doctrines of Christianity? Depends on who she's teaching. Uh, we hold the position that a woman, uh, biblically, uh, is not given the authority to teach men doctrine. Uh, if a woman is teaching girls, she's teaching ladies, there's nothing wrong with that. Um, but she has not been given the responsibility of being an authoritative teacher in, in respect to men. And again, this has nothing to do with that I am a, a male chauvinist and that I am you know, anti-feminist. This is a biblical principle, and I have, on another program, indicated very clearly from Paul's teaching in Timothy. It relates to the fact that God created order in which woman was man and woman were made, and it also relates to the fall. Uh, those are the biblical grounds that are given why a woman does not ex- exercise authoritative teaching and doctrine over a man. It has nothing to do with uh, trying to be current in, in modern times. It has to do that we have one book called the Bible, and we follow what the Bible teaches on these matters. Whether or not it's in harmony with the, the, the times in which we live, uh, we would rather behold the Scripture and be true to God uh, than just try to follow what people believe in these matters. Can a person believe these fundamental doctrines that we've listed this evening, but still have an inclusive attitude of other religions and be born again? I, I think it is possible uh, that you, you can hold these positions, but uh, th- that's why we have what you call the fundamentalists. You've got the new evangelicals, you've got the uh, neo-orthodox, uh, that's why you got the Reformed and all these different types of groups. There are, there are people that would hold to these particular doctrines, but yet are willing in some way to entertain the idea that it is possible for others not to hold to all of these particular doctrines and still uh, have some kind of close association with them. So I think that is possible. I think it is wrong, but I think it is possible. In order to live a Christ-honoring life, do you have to be a part of a fundamental church? Let me just say this. I've met people in my visitation who would say to me, Pastor, I don't have to go to church. Well, I always remind that church is not man's idea. Church is God's idea. Uh, you cannot and should not try to exist as a lone ranger. You ex- ex- exist in the context of community. Uh, believers need each other. And I, I would find it difficult for a believer and not to see the importance of church. So I think church is vitally important. And the Lord himself says, forsake not the assembling of yourselves together. So that is, that is emphasized in the Bible uh, as far as church, church is concerned. I imagine if you were to go to a lot of churches here in Antigua and across the Caribbean and ask people, can you tell me the fundamental doctrines of the Christian faith? You would get some very different answers, and some people may really struggle with answering that question. Why do you think there's this lack of knowledge and being grounded in these fundamental doctrines? I have said on another program that might bear repeating, the church has become a center for entertainment. It's not a a center where for exposition of the word and uh, etc. You've got music replacing the message. You've got drama uh, you've got steel pan, uh, you've got dramatic dancing, you've got um, discussions, you've got uh, all kinds of functions and activities. The, uh, the core thing that is missing from the modern church is solid, 
expository preaching. I think that is the detriment to the church, and that's why we've got so many uh, believers who don't even know the core doctrines of the Bible. The other thing is, I don't think the church has done a good job at mentoring people after they've been saved. And what I mean by that, having a, a Bible study with them one-on-one, um, trying to cr- create disciples rather than people who make decisions. They're two different things altogether. I don't think over the years the church has done a good job in after a person has become a Christian to actually systematically try to disciple that person to become a true follower of Christ. I think that is one of the main failings of the modern church. I have a WhatsApp that has just come in from Antigua. Thank you to the individual that sent it. Are there doctrines that are not required for salvation? You know, it is hard to say that they're doctrines, because if it's a doctrine, it's a teaching. And you would expect that a, a believer would embrace that doctrine. Where the problem comes in with doctrine is interpretation. For example, uh, while the church has always believed in the second coming, they have been different opinion as to when the second coming occurs. Uh, you've probably heard of the rapture, uh, you've heard of the mid-trib, the pre-trib, and the post-trib. People have differed in terms of those kind of matters. D- d- do I have to believe in pre-tribulation in order to be a Christian? Absolutely not. But it is important for me to believe that Christ is coming back. So I think in the area of interpretation of certain doctrines is where there's a problem. There's a real problem in that aspect, especially when it comes to Bible prophecy. Uh, take the matter of baptism again. I, I believe that there are people who are not baptized the way that I am that are Christian because baptism is not essential to salvation. A person can die before he's baptized and still get to heaven once he's made a professional faith. A person might be saved at a late age and, and, and don't have the crippled, handicapped, can't be baptized. So again, my position would be that uh, immersion I believe that, but there are some groups that still practice sprinkling. For example, the Presbyterians still practice that, the, the Catholics still practice that, and also the Lutherans. Uh, so it's a matter of interpretation of some of these doctrines, which uh, means that some of these uh, doctrines, because the differences, are not really essential. Real quickly, do you use these doctrines to determine your fellowship with other uh, so-called Christians? For me, it's a, a doctrinal matter when it comes to fellowship. Uh, and uh, these core doctrines, are, I would not fellowship with a person who told me didn't believe in six days of creation. I would never fellowship with a person who told me did not believe in the resurrection or the deity of Christ or the virgin birth or the Bible is the inspired word of God. I would, I would not, I, I would, could be a friend in terms of a, a talking one-on-one, but in terms of ecclesiastical association, uh, I, would, I would not. Thank you for joining us tonight for That's Truth. Thank you for joining us for today's program. We pray that the Holy Spirit uses the truths shared from God's Word to strengthen your faith. Now you've heard it. That's truth. Thanks for listening. Remember, you can hear more answers to life's questions on That's Truth, Tuesday at 7.30 p.m. on the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse. If you're in Antigua, you can listen at 92.3 MHz FM. If you're in the Caribbean, you can listen at 1160 kilohertz AM or listen online at www.radiolighthouse.org from anywhere in the world. 
or you can subscribe to this podcast. Looking forward to having you join us next time.